You um, buy weed, right? I buy weed? Well, well I put it in the form of a question. And yes. You, you put it. You responded. Is this Jeopardy? Well, I'm just saying. What is, I, do you buy weed for $500? Yes. I've never bought, um, I've never gone to a dispensary and bought weed legally. I've I've actually only bought weed legally. How much does it cost? It depends on what you get. What's the cheapest stuff? The cheapest stuff, like typically if you're on a budget, you would go in for a pre-roll, which is a pre-rolled joint. Uh, and you can probably get like two for 22 bucks. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Folks, you got a choice in the world. You can either go out and get yourself a pre-roll and uh, <laughs> smoke some of this shake. Or you could take that money, click on the show notes, Go to our Brain Buster T-Store and get a Turnbuckle Boogie T-Shirt for less than it costs to get some of this uh, skunky-ass stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you could also do both if you want to have a party. (laughs) Yes, that's true. You have a couple of joints and a Turnbuckle Boogie T-Shirt. Chick's panties will be flying off. You'll be uh, standing there with your chest out looking like a badass. Absolutely. You can put one behind your ear, right? One pre-roll behind your ear. Have one lit up in your mouth. Have your nipple protector, right? The turnbuckle boogie nipple protector. Mm-hmm. T-shirts or hoodies. Go click on the show notes. Click on our Brain Buster T-Store link. And you get a shirt or a hoodie from Turnbuckle Boogie. Yeah, man. Let's boogie. I was almost confused when you asked me about marijuana because then I'm like, are we recording now? <laughs> like, are, are th- So that threw me for a loop. I do apologize. Yeah, sorry. I, I try to think of an interesting way to start every show. And uh, <laughs> asking you how much weed you buy seems a, a bit tactless. I apologize. I don't care. I, I'm pretty open with um, the consumption of cannabis for recreational and medicinal purposes all right with that out of the way folks welcome to turnbuckle boogie i am pro wrestling historian timothy styles and with me is my very own pro wrestler it's cutthroat cody hancock that is i hello how are you today i like that i called you my very own personal pro wrestler as if i could have you do my bidding you could if you wanted me to. I mean, All I'm right. a nice enough guy. When's your next match coming up? Uh, right now, uh, September 4th, actually, at the Future Stars Wrestling Arena. And who's it against? Uh, unfortunately, there is no opponent, and I am uh, currently dealing with some issues with my tag team partner, Jacob Austin Young, that I think that we're going to have to address in a public forum. Oh, I see. Well, let's say things break down, and uh, um, uh, it, it, it turns to fisticuffs. Um, here's my demand. A little eye poke. <laughs> Just one eye poke? That's right. I like eye rakes better. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like the, uh, I like the action when, when the action stops for a minute and Piper just 
he doesn't even lean in. He makes it so obvious that he just does the uh, the mouth, yeah, from the Three Stooges, just the two fingers right in the face. Yes, as opposed to the hidden thumb or any of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think that there's there's so many different ways to poke somebody's eyes, and I think that Piper Piper's presentation with it was always fun. Flair always did just the thumb, right? right. Just a little bit of the thumb. And then more aggressive heels would do like the face rake. They would like just get completely in your face with it and just rake your whole entire head off. Well, you know, it's funny how we organically get into what we were probably going to talk about because today's episode is uh, the handsome half breed. There it is. Gino Hernandez. Gorgeous Gino Hernandez. Yeah, folks, let me be clear. I didn't give him that nickname. That's what he called himself. Yes. Because the handsome half-breed sounds like a pretty dire insult by today's standards. It most certainly is. But <laughs> we have to remember the time frame in which Gorgeous Gino was around, for sure. Yes. Well, he didn't have a problem with it. It was his idea. Yeah. Hey, I'm the handsome half-breed. Yep. I think his real last name was Wolf. So I think he was probably mostly a honky. Most likely. But he tanned pretty well. Oh, yeah. Well good enough to give himself the last name Hernandez. Yes, sir. So anyway, but because we were going to be talking about him, there was no question like, well, obviously we have to talk about the heel stuff because, you know, he had a pretty good heel run. It was really only a couple of years in WCCW. Now he had about a 10 year stretch where he was doing pretty good, but it was like between 84 and 86, somewhere around there where he had a monster heel run. Yeah, he, he hit his stride for sure. Right. And um, I, just a real terrible son of a bitch. We'll go into him in a little bit, but I want to continue our thoughts as, as, as it pertains to heel maneuvers, you know, the behind the back stuff. We've mentioned the eye poke, the thumb to the eye, the face. What'd you call it? Face rake. Face rake. I do like, and I know everyone loves to hate Hulk Hogan, but Hogan would do the back rake. Yes. <laughs> which gets uh, uh, even if you have a serious character gets the funniest sell ever because they do the tippy toes they arch their back and kind of like rick rude selling an atomic drop oh yeah 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 just oh <laughs> it's really funny that you mentioned that because lately it's happened to me in training and it's happened to me in matches where since i'm bald people will rake my head hmm. but so pro wrestling etiquette 101 kids trim your fucking fingernails because anyone that has raked my head, whether it be in training or in a match, it has actually scratched my head to the point where I cannot properly shave my head until it heals. Right. It is so frustrating. I, you know what you could do? Let's say you were depressed and you had one of these days where some jerk off with long fingernails was taking advantage of you. That night, you go home, you write a suicide note, and you just say, Steve did it. Oh, no. And then when the cops, you know, find your dead corpse and they find the Steve did it note, <laughs> they're going to go straight over to Steve's house and check his fingernails for DNA. Absolutely. Steve, and they'll you're find going it. to fucking jail. Well, if you ever wanted to give somebody the ultimate payback and you're done with dealing with everyone's bullshit, I guess that that would be the way to go. <laughs> It would be innovative. Yeah. You know, a good crime story. Yeah. 
Oh, that would be a good episode of uh, Law and Order. Bum, bum. Even Gino Hernandez is a good crime story. And that's uh, that's the sad part of Gino. But as far as he'll work, I think that it's very, very important to mention the feud that he had with uh, Chris Adams, gentleman Chris Adams, because mm-hmm. they were a tag. They were a tag team eventually and they broke up. Their feud really didn't get going, I, I believe. I believe he died basically before if memory serves. Um, he threw the Nair stuff. Yep. I think they were calling it Freebird cream because, uh, they did the same thing to, uh, buddy Roberts. I believe so. Um, where he lost his hair. Uh, anyway, he threw some of this stuff in his eyes in Chris Adams's eyes and Chris Adams was blind. Now I think it was just cause Chris Adams was going to go to back to England and hang out with his family or something yep. for some time. But he basically died right after that. Yep. So, I remember they had they had a match that I enjoyed, mm-hmm. but it didn't really get uh, finished the way that it needed to. And I think that it's also important to mention you have Gino Hernandez, who if you go and look at his body of work, um, very much paralleled uh, Flair. And sure. there was some some definite flair worship when it came to that. And you could even see it in the way that he structured his matches. Ooh, I got to interject there. Flair worship. That might be true, but it might be a situation where, because a lot of these guys all were influenced by like the same handful of people because the business dictated you do what works. Yep. And I mean, I don't know. I, maybe it was, uh, uh, buddy, uh, nature boy, buddy. Why can't I think of his last name? Rogers. Yes. I get buddy Roberts and buddy Rogers mixed up. I do too. <clears throat> so I don't know if it was buddy Rogers who really put that style on the map of the, you know, be the cocky, uh, antagonist who oversells, you know, I'm sure he wasn't the first, but he really fine tuned it. Yep. And, Man, a lot of guys were doing that act. Yes. Um, Flair, obviously, right down to the name. Well, and it's easy because it gets reaction from crowds. And we talked in an episode prior about how nobody is willing to be the chicken shit anymore. Everybody wants to be cool, whether they're a cool bad guy or a cool good guy. That stuff is going to come up today. I've got some grievances. Yes. And if you go back and if you... I love going back and watching old wrestling to listen to how the crowds would react Mm -hmm. to people that were not afraid to put themselves in situations to where they looked like an idiot. And there was a match that I saw with, I believe Carrie was Texas tornado, right? The Von Eric names always mix me up. Yes. Yes. So there was a match he had with Carrie Von Eric and it was, Gino Hernandez was not afraid to make an absolute fool of himself. Mm -hmm. And he was brilliant at doing that. And the thing that I was going to mention about flair is, is that he would do flair spots, but he would rearrange them to where they were his spots. The up and over in the corner would have a different outcome, but would eventually lead to him going off the top rope to be billed off. Right. right? And there, well, that's a funny thing. Are they flair spots? 
right. or did Flair leverage those from other from from other else? people? What it was yeah. was that in the eighties there was this like an archetype. It's like the cocky heel who wears the suits and the big giant gold glasses, you know, and who comes out and cuts promos in a particular way, surrounded by women. And, Twisted still and sex appeal, baby. Yeah, threatening bitches with his cock and stuff like that. Yep. And uh and then their even their in ring style would be almost identical from how they sold, you know, to begging off in the corner and all that s- stuff. Um, right down to almost the moveset. They almost all did the figure four. Yes. You know, um, Rick Martel was that for the WWF for a period, mm-hmm. you know, before, uh, when he was the um, the model, I think. Yes. Um, but, and ironically, if you were to bleach his hair, he probably look exactly like Flair. They have a lot of the same facial features. Yes. So it, it was this type that every territory had one. They had their Ric Flair type, but even then, you should you almost don't want to call it the Ric Flair type. You almost want to call it the Buddy Rogers type. I would have to go and watch Buddy Rogers matches in right. order to see if like any of those spots were lifted, um, and they very well could be. Sure, and I mean they're very basic, right? Yes, the you know the the run up the the turnbuckle and get caught and thrown over. Yeah, the flip the f- over the turnbuckle onto and, the apron. Yeah, the figure four, stuff like that. You know, it, it, he would do... Ric Flair was fantastic, obviously. He had win for days, and he could put on these hour-long bangers. Um, uh, but the moveset's fairly basic, I yep. find. And you would also find that a lot of... <clears throat> I think just wrestling in general back then, there wasn't... I think the innovation came from pacing, mm-hmm. right? How how the pace of matches went. And for instance, you'll see crisscrossing right. in a wrestling ring back then. The only time you're going to see crisscrossing in a wrestling ring nowadays is if you go to a wrestling school and that's how the trainer up. is warming up the kids. Right. And that's it's there's so many old spots to where Shoulder tackle bumps used to be rope running shoulder tackle bumps used to be structured towards the end of matches. People would do drop down leapfrogs at the end of their match to lead into the finish. That's now the universal way to actually start matches for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think it's lost on the fans what the purpose of dropping down and and all that stuff is. Yes. Well, and the thing with that is, is that in, if you're being trained properly in wrestling schools, they'll let you know what the intended purpose is. But for so long, I don't even think the fans know. They don't know until they see somebody like Samoa Joe trip somebody with an actual drop down. Exactly. Because yeah. the problem is, is that it never works. And it's no different than I'm, I'm kind of thankful right now because for the longest time, people weren't doing back body drops, mm-hmm. but back body drops are actually finally making a comeback. It's a move that... What are we talking about? A belly to back and just... So if I bend over as you're running at me and I flip you up in the air... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. The big monkey flip. Yes. And so the the move... It's impressive if you can get a guy some good height. It's a, And it's impressive if people just are brave enough to do it at all. But unfortunately there really is a high injury rate when Um, it came to doing that move. Yeah. You're really trusting. 
I mean, you really got to get your hand planted in the right way, and you got to trust that the other guy isn't over-rotating yes. in some crazy way. Because, you know, it's so important. This is just me talking out of my ass. But it's so important that if you're going to take a bump, if you're going to, even if you were just standing in this room here, it's carpet, and you just did a front flip, and it's so important that you land flat and uh, get your shoulder blades in and all this sort of jazz. Uh, when you get really, really high and you see these guys, they don't land right. I know what it is to have an injured lumbar region of my back or, yep. or any sort of other things. If you don't land flat, God, it sucks. And that's an, a huge thing to talk about. And you're not necessarily speaking out of term because you actually understand when I, when I explain things to people, when I was coming up in wrestling <laughs> training, everyone was like, oh, it's your own bump. Oh, it's your own bump. Oh, it's your own bump. And that's what the old timers what would the fuck tell does me. What that even mean? That if I'm going to take a back body drop, it's up to me and not the other person to lift me. It's up to me to actually flip myself, which is complete bullshit. Sure. And just by you saying what you said, you can be over rotated. You can be under rotated. You know, the yeah. person that could be going up for the backdrop may not be able to post properly on the shoulder blades and I things of landed, that nature. I see him landed funny all the time. Yes. It, it, not it, almost every back body drop looks different. Right. Depending on who is taking it, especially flares who well, uh, favored one side of his body. <laughs> and he had to because the uh, airplane yes, crash that he was it, in his broken back. Yes. And he was still able to get high and he was still able to land. But, you know, there's like I said, there's a resurgence for that coming back in a way, which is cool to see mm -hmm. because a lot of people would tease like they're going to do a back body drop, but then they'll get a sunset flip instead or somebody mm -hmm. will kick them up or right. so for a really long period of time, people were just bending down to do a back body drop without ever doing it in the match. And they're just doing it to do it to set somebody up for something else. What if that was a guy's finisher? What's your finisher brother? Oh, I do a back body drop. Yeah. Like what? They're all right. <laughs> my favorite story. And the last match that I had was against, uh, Gregory Sharp. And it, speaking, of which I actually give him a back body drop in that match. So I'll pat myself on the back. Um, it's really interesting because it's, it's just one of those things that <clears throat> in the early nineties, that's, that's what used to start people's comebacks Right, is that they would just give somebody a back body drop and then they would feed up for the bump and feed, right? you know? And it's just, Watch old wrestling, people. Just watch old wrestling and see how they did things, and feel free to find a way to incorporate it into what you're doing now. Oh, you're talking specifically to wrestlers. I'm talking specifically to wrestlers. You're right not now, talking yes. about like uh, the 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 one banker who listens to the right. show. Hey, well, watch old wrestling and incorporate it into your daily life. Well, absolutely. Well, you should do that. <laughs> you know, like you ever get rear-ended? You know, just you know, gig oh, yourself a little bit. You know, just come out full color. Yeah. Talk in the third person. Steve Hansen doesn't have to put up with this sort of whiplash. Yes, yes absolutely. As I said, the Harris has improved so much, but just there were, if you're not quite aggressive enough, boom, Garvin came out. A little more experience Garvin had, and a tremendous win on Garvin's part. And it's part of the youth and the young athletes of the day, and one of them is Gino Hernandez. Now, is this a great man or not? He is quite an athlete, there's no question about it, and I believe you do want to if, interview him at this time. If you wouldn't mind, I would like to take Mr. Soli this opportunity right to interview this great athlete. You see, 
Mr. Hernandez, I would like to say that it's a pleasure and I owe you an apology. Because when I saw you in the ring, first of all, it did not click amazingly enough with me. You are Gino Hernandez. You are famous in Texas. I've seen you wrestle. You have beaten opponent after opponent and I apologize. And what you did here is just part of being the young youth scientific wrestler of the day. Slip right in there and we have something in common. You destroyed Brad Armstrong. I destroyed Daddy Bob. And I just want you to know that it is a pleasure to have you here. The feeling is mutual. I just like to say I feel kind of guilty about being so conniving to kind of slip in here in such a low-key way. But I'd like to say it had to be done, as you know, Roddy, because all these so-called champions and these egomaniacs like Dusty Rhodes and like the Garvin guy and uh, leave it be like the Armstrongs, which are more washed up than Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and Roberto Duran combined. I'd just like to say to all you people out there, gorgeous Gino Hernandez, the handsome half-breed. I'm more handsome than Sylvester Stallone and Eric Estrada combined. More gorgeous than Bo Derrick. And let me say something. You know, the biggest nuisance that's been bothering me for so long is one blonde-headed punk sissy by the name of Tommy Rich, who everybody calls Wildfire. Well, I'd like to say, Tommy Rich, you talk about all the women screaming about you. Well, I want to point something out to you, Tommy Rich. I want to point it out. All these women. Well, I've always gone by the saying, quantity over quality. And right here, I have something to show you from last Tuesday night in Houston, Texas. Right here, Roddy, I'd like to show you and the people pictures. No other than Farrah Fawcett on her birthday. Who does she choose to be with on her birthday? No other than gorgeous Gino, the handsome half-breed. Now, what do you got to say, Tommy Rich? Hey, pretty boy, what do you got to say about that? Farrah Fawcett didn't come and looking for you when she wanted to celebrate her birthday. Nobody's looking for you that's anybody, Tommy Rich. And let me say something, wildfire, you're nothing. You are nothing. You know, I don't blame the women for their inferior choice by pulling and rooting and crying and screaming over Tommy Rich only because of they've had nothing to compare to. But Tommy Rich, comparing you to me, at the age of 24, I've accomplished more than any man in any sport. And comparing you to me is like comparing a Volkswagen to a Rolls Royce. There is no comparison, <laughs> You're right, You're exactly right. right. It's such a pleasure. a pleasure. You see, this is... This is youth, this is science, this is champion. This is what we've been talking about, and Mr. Hernandez, we could continue, but oh, isn't that so sweet? But why talk anymore? Because if we try to tell them too much, we talk over their heads, so let's go to a commercial, because it's been your pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And then you sue him. I don't but know where then, Steve Hansen yeah, but came you, from. You, you, you cut promos before the court case, you know? That's right. You made me bleed my own blood. <laughs> Your honor. Yeah. Objection. Yes. Make it really spicy. That's right. Oh, th- there should be promos with objection in there. Objection. Objection. I object. 
There's been a couple of judges over the years, hasn't there? In the uh, ring? Judge Jeff Jones was a manager in ECW that was yes. also a referee. He managed Mike Awesome. Come out with a gavel and the, the gown? Yes. It'd be perfect. I guess the judge doesn't yell objection. What if there's? We need more lawyers. Mark, Mark Sterling, to... I think, is supposedly a lawyer. Yes. He should be yelling objection all the time. That would be actually hilarious. And then a judge character should be yelling sustain <laughs> or overruled. Denied. <laughs> More gimmicks that are jobs. Yes. In the legal system. Let's bring them back. Let's Early just, 90s WWE needs to come back in a big to, way. I'm going to be the evil stenographer. <laughs> I'm going to remember everything you say with my little typewriter. <laughs> Or you can just actually like put false information there, you oh, know, that's right. and like, hey, no, you said it. I, I, I typed it out right here. It's what you said. It's like I've got a direct line into Vince McMahon's brain. Yeah. I, he must have thought of all of these like, hey, you're going to be the judge and you, you're going to be the stenographer. Oh, man. <laughs> R.I.P. Vinnie Mac. <laughs> He's not dead. I mean, his career might be like, but we'll his see. His career. If you put in 50 plus years, I think you're free, even if it's, it ends sourly, you're free to retire a billionaire if you like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's not losing any sleep. I'm sure he's just fine. I wonder who he's lying on top of. Like, how do you get a gal? I guess there's still gals out there who, they go, I don't care. You know, there's girls that, uh, you know, they get married to dudes in prison. Yeah, that's a very strange thing. That's a very, very strange thing. It's all strange. Yes. There's weirdos out there. Uh, a fuck ton of them. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. I try not to. Sure. I don't want to understand how these people work. Yeah. Do girls in prison get married? I'm sure they do. And who are those guys? You know, I'm sure that there's some subsect of the internet that would have more information to regale on this specific topic. Yes. But I think that I, I've heard stuff, you know, it's no different than like Ted Bundy worship, right? Oh, right. Or mm -hmm. Richard Ramirez worship. Like mm -hmm. these people, there's even uh, teenage girls. Now I watched a little documentary that teenage girls that romanticize the killers in Columbine. Jesus. Yeah. Dylan Klebold. Yep. There, there's, there's strange shit out in the world, man. Teenage girls. Teenage girls. Hmm. I don't get it. Well, those guys were the ultimate heels, were they not? Well, I mean, it depends on who you ask. Like, there's some people that will... Everyone's got a different take on that stuff. Ironically, <clears throat> excuse me, I watched uh, um, Natural Born Killers the other night, which was one of my favorite movies when I was in high school. Yep. Um... It's about the same thing, how uh, the media glamorizes these certain aspects and how people are affected by it. And there are people who worship Mickey and Mallory Knox, yeah. the killers and natural born killers. There was even copycat killers from natural born killers that there was actually. A well, isn't anyone who goes on a crime spree and just kills people willy nilly a copycat killer? Not necessarily when you're doing specific things that happened in the movie. There was a 
guy that ended up finding a video game reproduction of some game that was killed by his roommates and the crime scene was set up to look like one of the scenes in natural born killers. Basically hmm. that I wish I had more information on the top of my head on that one, but I'll send that to you. It's fairly interesting. You know, the biggest heel in that movie, Rodney Dangerfield as uh, Mallory Knox's dad, yep. a molesting father. God damn. Going to the John Lee Hooker concert with Donna. I told you that yesterday. First off, you don't tell me anything. You ask my permission. Second, you're not going out in that Hoover house dress. You'll end up peddling your ass, you stupid bitch. And third, you're not going out at all. You didn't mow the yard. That piece of shit lawnmower is fine. Are you talking in front of your mother? You stupid bitch. You watch your language. Or I'll kick the shit out of you, like I do her. So if your ass is in this house, it's my ass. So you move it upstairs and take a shower. And you make sure it's a good shower, because I'm coming up after to see how clean you are. Hey, you know, he was always obviously known for his comedy, but uh, as a creepy ass grabber. Yeah. A uh, stellar performance. We yeah, kind of fit the uh, the nail on the head right there. Jesus Christ. It's mortifying how good he is in that particular creepy role. It's been a long time since I've seen Natural Born Killers. I'm overdue for a rewatch. But- well, not to tread some old territory, but you know this is going to be brought up every now and then. What does it take to be a good heel in 2022? Um, commitment to actually not caring if you're cool. Um, I think that to be a good heel, look at one of the best heels in the industry right now that hasn't been on TV in a while is MJF. We've talked about it before. We'll talk about it now. Look at the way he goes about doing his stuff. He is the only, I think, criticism that I would say is, is that everyone knows that he's in on the gag. You know, but I think that he's so committed to it that people play along regardless and they play along. Well, I feel like if you were to put him in a different time earlier on uh, in the wrestling world, I think that he would have killed, you know, the presentation, the I have more money than you have. I dress better than you do. I'm more handsome than you are. Your women want to be with me. Mm-hmm. They don't even like being with you. They, and then he made things personal. Y- yes. And you, you say all this stuff. And then once you finally get in the ring and your back is against a corner, you're on your hands and knees groveling. No, please don't beat me up. And the feud he had with Wardlow, um, or I should say the feud he had with Punk that then spiraled into Wardlow turning I would say on pretty him. much every feud he had. Yeah, that's 
that is it was old school wrestling 101 mm-hmm. on how to actually get over and and put over the 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 need to be hated there right. was there's somebody that I'm not going to mention by name recently that they were put in a situation to where they were going to come back to wrestling as a heel. And even during their time that they were wrestling, they were always a heel, but they were cool mm-hmm. and they would always say, well, I just don't understand why they want me to be a heel. Cause the crowd is cheering me. And it's like, well, that's because subconsciously you don't want to be a heel. Mm-hmm. You want to be a baby face because you are doing cool things to get cool reactions. Right. You're not doing anything dastardly or diabolical and you're not being a piece of shit. And even I, when I turned heel, when I was in the following for future stars of wrestling, that was a faction that was comprised with my tag team partner, Jacob Austin, young Bryce Harrison, Shelly Martinez, as well as big Duke and Shelly Duke. Big I like Duke. to say his name every time you say it. Yeah. Shelly Martinez understood how to make people hate us, but admittingly there was a lot of people that I don't know if they were committed to actually being heels and in the group. And I was the only one and the crowd would still cheer for me. And it, I had to like you, I remember when we first met, I went to a show and uh, I happened to see that act the following come out. And it was like you were a, a bulldog it was like the NWO, but they had a bulldog there yep. who was, uh, you know, a little beast. Yeah. And I was like, geez, Louise. And I... But Bryce, uh, what's his name? Bryce Harrison. Bryce Harrison uh, was too cool. And, you know, the, everyone seemed to be kind of too cool. But you were... <laughs> you stood out at the time of, oh, this guy must be their psychotic enforcer. Yeah. And that and that was also the role that I was willing to play because I didn't want people to cheer me. Right. And they would cheer me still because I was a beloved babyface. And I'm not telling anybody to do the things that I did because I did things that almost got me in trouble in certain scenarios. But I had to get the reaction that I wanted to get. And I, I threw my wrist tape in people's mouths. Right. I ripped, In their mouth? Yes. They're, like, you remember the Daredevil movie with From Ben like Affleck? From like a couple inches away? Yep. Or, uh, oh, you're, I, I would unwrap my wrist tape. There, there's one story specifically where at the end of our match, the fans are trying to give us high fives, and there's a specific fan that, was there with her hand up and her mouth open as I was taking off my wrist tape. Hmm. And I'm like, Oh, you want a high five? And then just the nod mouth wide open. And then I balled up my wrist tape and I threw it directly in her mouth. Oh, and I got in trouble for that. What'd she have to say? Um, hated, hated me for a pretty long time afterwards. (laughs) And there's, there's people that I had to, there's people that I saw in public years afterwards, after the following run that I had to have conversations with them. Like, listen, I understand that 
I crossed a line with you, but at the same time, I needed you to boo me and you weren't booing me. So I had to do something in order to get you to fucking boo me. It's so strange that you would have that conversation. Well, when, so there's a difference for me when I see people at a wrestling show, as opposed to when I see people out in public. Right. right? And I can see the level of, they can look at me and they're like, I wonder if that's him or not. And then I'll go up to him like, hey, I know you. You're a fan. And then be like, yeah, you're funny bone, right? I've never <laughs> seen you on without the, ma- and the makeup. I'm like, no, I'm not funny bone. I'm yeah. cutthroat Cody. And I don't, the one thing that I'll say is, is that I appreciate anybody that is willing to come down to that fucking heat box of a warehouse right. to pay a ticket to watch wrestling, right? And even whatever role that I'm in, when I'm a civilian, I treat myself as I'm a civilian. And that is also how I end up selling t-shirts out of my car. If I have to, mm. my biggest problem that I had when I was a heel is I didn't sell merchandise because people didn't want to buy merchandise from me because well, I was a fucking dick. Well, that's and kind of the way it's supposed to be. That's kind of the way it's supposed to be until you realize that you don't have anybody paying your bills and you're paying your own bills by selling your own merchandise. Hey man, I, for years, went every year in Las Vegas to the Harlem Globetrotters game. Hell yeah. You know how many Harlem Globetrotters jerseys you can buy when you're at a Harlem Globetrotter game at their merch stand? Let me know. Uh, Probably dozens. Yeah. I mean, going all the way back to, you know, whatever that guy's name. Metal Lark, Lemon, Bubblegum, Tate. I forget all their (laughs) names. They all had very cool names. Yes. You know how many Washington Generals jerseys you can buy? None. One. Right. One, and it's just nameless. I think the, the number on it is zero. I have it. It's upstairs. That's amazing. I, a, a, fr- <laughs> a, a friend of mine actually almost got on as one of the Washington generals. All you got to do is be a competent basketball player. Yep. I mean, well, I don't know. We didn't need to spin off into this, but the, the point is, is, <sighs> God damn, this industry is fucking broken. When I hear shit like this, no wonder fucking no one wants to be a heel because they don't sell fucking t-shirts and they have bills to pay. Okay, but, I understand, but goddamn, yeah. when is it not that there needs to be a union, but look, the way that it happened in the old days is if the he, if you got a good heel that is putting you over, fucking cut them a slice of your merch. Right. And well, you, but that's the thing is is that unfortunately there the easiest thing to do is pay them more money because Jericho has gone on record when he did major heel runs in WWE, he specifically said, I do not want a line of merchandise. So, but when you are an independent contractor and you're going from state to state and you're only going to get $50 and it costs you 80 to get there. And the only opportunity that you have to actually make money in order to either break even or make a little bit of profit is by selling a t-shirt. The industry unfortunately doesn't respect itself enough in order to offer proper pay mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So you have to find a different way. And well, look, I, I, if I could change the world, I'd easily have somebody <laughs> give me more money if I was being an asshole in public and I'd spit in people's faces. Gino Hernandez at his luxurious penthouse pool. Gino, we just showed the tape, portion of that championship tape at San Antonio. Very controversy. I'm sure the fans are wondering about it. Can you clarify it somewhat? There's absolutely nothing to clarify, Bill Mercer. 
The facts are now that I'm the Texas heavyweight champion along with the American heavyweight champion. There's no controversy. Let's just stick with facts. I'm the champion. Well, those are the facts. But the Von Erichs are very upset of the matter that you have that championship. They feel very strongly about the Texas championship, as they do the American, principally because David Von Erich had it. They told me they intend to take it from you. I don't care what the Von Erich family intends to do, and I don't care what they think, and I don't care that David Von Erich had the title. The title is mine now, and I say to them, the Von Erich family, especially to you, Kerry Von Erich, because you're always sticking your nose where it doesn't belong, I say to each and every one of you, and to all you nine to five lowlifers out there, and all you humanoids out there, I am the champion, and that's the way it's going to remain. All right, we'll grant the fact you are the Texas and American champion. Now, what are your future plans? What are you looking for down the road? Well, without being repetitious, you know, all my friends out in Beverly Hills continually call me and say, move out here to Hollywood where you belong. And I'll say, once again, there's one thing left to do, Bill. Just one thing left. What's that, Gino? That one thing is the world heavyweight title. And I'll say to each and every person out there, I won the Texas title. I've won the American title. So you keep that in mind. And whether it be Ric Flair, whether it be Kerry Von Erich, Whatever it may be that stands in my way, I will become the world heavyweight champion and the handsome half-breed will go down in history as the greatest wrestler of all time. Well, the controversy still swirls around Gina Hernandez and we shall be watching his uh, quest for those titles with interest. And we'll have more world-class championship wrestling in just a moment. All right, well, how about this? Let me say this. Let's do a little role-playing. Let's pretend that you're a babyface, okay? You're babyface John Johnson, and I'm going to play the heel Carl Carlson behind the scenes. John Johnson and Carl Carlson. Let's say we're both making 50 bucks, but I got t-shirts, but they're not selling because I'm a terrible heel. And you're a very uh, popular guy. Behind the scenes, hey, we're having a match tonight. Um... Hey, I got a deal for you. Well, I forget. Was I Carl or were you? I'm I'm Steve. De- I'm You're Steve Steverson. Steve Steverson, and I'm Carl Carlson. Hey, Steve, I got a deal for you. Um, I'll put you over. Yep. Uh, no sweat. But I'll tell you what. For twenty five percent of your merch, I'll make you look like a goddamn superhero. What do you think of that? Um, in today's day and age, it wouldn't work because there's no guarantee that you're going to even sell that much merch. I like, said twenty five. I gave a percentage. Right. So I'll tell you what. Even if you sold one T-shirt, twenty bucks, you throw me a fiver. We're good. I'll make you look like a. But look, that's the point. A heel makes a guy look like a fucking superhero, so that people want to buy that guy's shirt. Yes, and I agree with that, and I understand where you're coming from. But and it would never even, work. Not in today's day and age. There's just too Be- many stingy dudes. Listen, it's not even necessarily that there's stingy dudes. It's just the nature of. The amount of money that I have to spend to get a logo commissioned Mm -hmm. to then get it put onto a t-shirt, right? Like Brain Buster Tees and Pro Wrestling Tees is fantastic if you are majorly known. The Young Bucks ended up selling so much merchandise that that's what really got them their money. But how many teams like the Young Bucks exist, right? How many people are self-made in today's industry and it's unfortunately 
I can tell you that if anybody propositioned me and said as a baby face, well, I'll put you over really good, but you have to give me a little bit of your money. Absolutely not because you didn't put well, in the amount of money that I had to spend. Normally when I do runs of merchandise. That's why I said 25% yeah, and not 50%. Yeah, 25 is even too high. Man, I'll get you something to drink, dude. Like I'll, I, I would buy I'd you fucking a fucking yeah. sandbag you the whole yeah. match. Ah, this yeah. guy's the shit. He yeah. doesn't value my my commitment to the biz. Well, unfortunately, the promoters don't even value people's commitment to the biz. Like, and when you talk about pro wrestling unions, it's a very polarizing topic because if you talk about unionization, that then says that anyone that participates would receive money when there are people that are absolutely worthless. They right. have no intrinsic value <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> and there are like, there's leeches and there's things like that. And one of the reasons why wrestling changed from, because that deal that you talked about mm -hmm. used to work back in the day when there was a lot of money to be made. Right. Right. And heels literally had no t-shirts. Yeah. They if, had no merch. If I knew that I was going to go into a town and I was going to make $500 in merchandise. Mm -hmm. And if you and I were working a match and if you gave me such a good match that it ended up helping me, I would do that business with you. Right. You understand what I'm saying? It's really funny that you mentioned this because I've been involved in partnerships with people that I have put in the effort of commissioning Almost everything. Right. And it came out of my pocket, whereas the other person was not able to put into it. Right. And then I still split things evenly. Right. To where somebody else would then go and then commission something. And then when it came to giving me my part of the contribution, they were almost hesitant to do it. Right. This is also another reason why I will never do business like that again, right. because it's a shit fucking deal because I'm willing to do that, but other people aren't. And that's happened to me multiple times throughout professional wrestling. Right. Like that's, that's like a really, I could say so much more. And I could give you names, dates, places, and I could tell you how many people have fucking rolled me, right. even though I've done the right thing. But the only thing that I do now is, is I protect myself right. because if I'm going to go in and do business with somebody and they're not going to pay that end, the money that I make while I'm selling it, whatever their cut was supposed to be ends up being paid for by the sales of what I sell that way. I keep myself protected. Right. Right. So that's a very unfortunate reality. Right. And that's another. Hey, it's a business. It is a business. And you got to be smart. So, well, let me ask you this. Whose responsibility would it be to get, to get a little more money to a heel for being an actual heel? The not promoters. A cool heel. Right. So. It would be the promoter's so, responsibility. All right. Let's say you're a heel again. You're Jack Jackson. <laughs> yep. <laughs> How many other names can I make up with this? Jack Jackson goes to uh, the uh, promoter. Uh, <laughs> John I love John how it's just always like the first name. John Johnson, the promoter. Yep. So Bradley Bradlison. <laughs> that's right. Uh, he, he says, uh, oh, yeah, maybe the promoter. I should give one of these sort of uh, Barnaby Upper Crust, the third names. <laughs> 
Barnaby uh, Upper Crust the Third. Uh, uh, hello, Barnaby. I'm Jack Jackson. Uh, Jack Jackson, the heel. Hey, uh, I'm gonna put over your guy tonight. I don't have any merch because I'm a heel and I'm really good at it. Yeah. How about you cut me up another forty bucks or whatever? Yeah. And of course, the promoter is probably gonna say. Get the fuck out of here. Well, and there may be some promoters that may even offer that as an incentive. You know, it really just depends on who you're working with. And Mm. that's ultimately one of the most frustrating things about the industry is that wrestling is subjective. And it's a matter of somebody else's opinion, no matter what you're doing. And what what independent wrestlers have to do in today's day and age is they just have to sell themselves enough to be put onto a card. Right. And then if they sell themselves enough to be put onto a card, they have to have the best match that they can possibly have on that card, given the outcome that they are told to get to. And then at the end of that, if you are trying to push yourself and I have this line of T-shirts, I'm going to then go to the merchandise stand and then I'm going to go sell my Mm T-shirts. Right. And that is also why the idea of me I have no problem going full blown hill anytime I'm traveling. Can I give you some yeah, ideas please. for for merch? I, well, let's say you turn heel soon. <sighs> Boy, kayfabe is dead. Yeah. Let's say you turn heel soon. <laughs> just just let it go, man. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not letting it go. Fuck that. I play, <laughs> I play along each and every week. Go oh, go, favorite guy. Boo, guy I don't like. Yeah. Um. So. You're not going to sell any t-shirts. No one's going to like a a cutthroat Cody shirt. Boo. Yeah. But how about this? A cutthroat Cody ashtray. It's got your face there. People put their cigarettes out of your face. Take that. That, I mean, even just like a dartboard. How about the cutthroat Cody spittoon? Well, WWE did that with the anti-John Cena merchandise. Oh, how about like a fleshlight where your face is at the end of the inside? Some people might buy that. <laughs> and I'm they, aware of that. They put their dick in there and it, it hits you in the face a bunch of times. And that you, I'm just giving you merch ideas. You know what? Sure. I'll, I'll tell you what, man. You don't we, have to we, man we, the booth. Let's, let, let, let's contact Fleshlight right after this episode. And we are going to, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you heard it here first. The Cutthroat Cody line, Fleshlight. <laughs> And it's, yep. You don't have to man the booth. You get somebody else like, hey, uh, sell these and I'll give you two bucks for every uh, unit sold or whatever. Yep. <laughs> sure. So that you don't have to be out there with the fleshlights and the ashtrays. No, I I mean, if I'm going to have a fleshlight in my mouth, man, it's got to be me. Like, I'm just going to have to own that up. What would be an actual good, because it can't just be t-shirts, like maybe like a sheet set where your face is on the pillow smiling. So the, the hardest part, like... It, wrestling buddies are coming back into prominence mm. so God, those are so cheaply made yes and people love them and keychains posters unfortunately in today's day and age dvds are a little bit harder of a sell oh boy due to streaming platforms and things of that are nature people still selling dvds there are some people that will like tape trading is actually coming back in a pretty big way where do you even find a fucking VCR nowadays? Uh, in my bedroom. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, but other than Goodwill. that, you have to find a guy who has bell bottoms on? Yep, yep. Goodwill, Super Pond. Like, you can find VCRs. I nearly bought another VCR the other day. Good Lord. I mean, let's say I were to start a band again today. 
uh, I would not know how to do the business end of things. Because, you know, generally back in the day, sorry to sound like an old guy, you know, you'd do your show and then you'd start hawking CDs for 10 bucks uh, of your record or whatever. Yep. Um, now, no one owns a CD player. That's not true. And people are actually still buying CDs. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. But what percentage of those people... Enough to have Zia Records sell CDs and records. Yes, and the ca- one record store in your town. People are producing cassette tapes. Yes. There, there is a subsect culture that is... The, First go- of all, you're talking to me like I'm an idiot. I, I'm, I'm not, aware that... I, I'm not talking to you like you're an idiot, but at the same time, like when you question this and like, well, who's buying it? A bunch of fucking people. Right. But I yeah. want the, I, you want to try to make the most money you can make, not off a small niche of a niche of a niche. These people who buy tapes, there are not enough of them to make a living. Cassette tapes for your band. I don't know if I agree with you because Zia Records exists and other places in the world exist. Like there's, Reason. Well, I could tell you that stuff was but, still in trend when I was still in a band. Yeah, and those people had would run a print a print run of a hundred tapes, and they might sell one every few weeks. Yeah. of a cassette tape. That's how little it was. And yes. now it might be in vogue to all of a sudden uh, get tapes and have a tape player. And and there is nostalgia. So sure. nostalgia. Um, Sells and like I said, I'm not. I'm. I'm definitely not trying to treat you like you're stupid. I know. I know. But like, I resell things. I've reselled things for quite some time. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And something that happened uh, back in the day is that when we transferred everything from VHS to DVD, mm-hmm. there was a lot of things that were never converted into that format. So a lot of horror tapes, especially horror VHS tapes. Oh yeah. My favorite horror tapes. Yes. And they like W H O R E. Yeah. Horror tapes. No, not horror tapes, but huh? horror movies. Oh, horror. Horror. Thank you. <laughs> so you have, Come on, take a joke. I, but I'm also trying to explain something. Go ahead, go ahead. You, I have ha- a responsibility to this comedy show. Well, I appreciate that. I didn't. I, if I knew that I was buying a ticket to the comedy show, I would have fucking paid a little extra. <laughs> tip the waitress, please. That's right. Tip your heel, yeah. uh, heel opponent here. So you have all this media that was not digitally converted, and now Elvira movie. Like VHS tapes are selling for eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, correct the movie. So you remember that she used to host her own show where she watched movies and she would chime in with commentary on them. I mean, buddy, I had a bootlegged version of that movie in my house and watched it a great deal growing up. Uh, I'm aware of Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, right. the movie. It's actually I watched it very recently because it's streaming on. One of the one of the platforms, I think maybe Amazon Prime. Yes, but she before she got the movie, she hosted a nightly. You remember Count? Oh, cool, so you're not talking about the. movie. I'm not talking about the movie. I'm All talking right. about you. Remember Count Cool Rider in Vegas? Yes, she was. Well, she was supposed to be a um, a vampire you know, a parody of Vampira. Yes, um, because you know she was a groundling. 
you know, she was there with Pee Wee Herman and uh, any number of people, you know, that, and she just ended up having this character. It was a strange time in the 80s. People would invent, like, P, uh, Paul Rubens created Pee Wee Herman. Um, uh, oh, I forget the guy. Uh, Jim Varney created, do you know the name? Ernest P. World. World. World? World. 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 There you go. Uh, but yeah, she created this character that was a parody uh, essentially of Vampira and all of these, uh, I mean, it's an entire history that's pretty fascinating, but yeah, there would be like a local news guy who would host, uh, an evening of horror movies on yes. broadcast TV and he would dress up like a vampire or a Frankenstein's monster or yeah. whatever. And there would be one in every town. Yep. And those tapes that Elvira had before she got her movie, right. those tapes go for a pretty penny. I sold one for $175. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing is, is that, uh, and also, when you mention niche markets, mm-hmm. it's not a niche market if you're buying some or if you're selling something that they're going to buy. It's profit. It is a profit margin. Like Zia Records, and they're, I'm around young adults, right? Being a trainer at Future Stars of Wrestling, um, for those that know S4TB, which is professional wrestling's brat pack. Those are my kids. And say the name again. S4TV. No, say it. The brat pack. No. What is S4TV? Simps for the biz. <laughs> yeah. And, and Simps is something positive? I think so. I they've explained it to me. <laughs> there's a there's a hand gesture that goes along with it. I let them be them. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they Grab House has Zia Records sponsoring their next show. Sure. And there is a heavy interest due to things like Stranger Things. Sure. Right? Like, people are invested in the past, and there is a market for it. Zia Records isn't just Vegas. It also is in Arizona, and I believe one other place, and it's spreading. And anytime you go Mm. into these stores... There is well, no. You act like I'm, I'm, I'm taking the piss out of the this sort of world because I live a, a digital lifestyle. Right. That's not the case. What I'm simply saying is, uh, w- the majority of people in the world surprisingly live a digital lifestyle because it's 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 the American way of life. Right. Give me convenience or give me death. Right. Yes. So, um, if I were to start a band, that's the point I was making. Okay. I'm not sure I would waste. $3,000 to print up a thousand CDs right? because t- to take on the road with me, because I might sell at the end of a tour 50. Well, you it, understand. And I do understand, but the production cost, uh, has definitely gone down and getting access to, man, there's something that I can't talk about that I'm actually doing a project on and I don't want to spoil it. Right. Right. But it's very, very easy, and it's not as expensive as it once was to actually produce some things. You just have to make sure that you do enough digging. Sure. And but do you know why that is? Why? Because they're dying industries. So well, no. Like if you wanted to like start a fucking magazine, there's publishers out there who'd be willing to print your ideas because... They're having a hard time getting business. Of course. You know, it's like with radio. Anyone can, you know, AM radio, 
you've been in that AM radio station yeah. here in Vegas before. We I used- was involved with an AM radio <clears throat> show. Yeah, so was I. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but and it's because shout out Archie Overton. Yeah. Oh yeah. Shout out to Archie. But it, you know, we essentially paid them 150 bucks because they need the money. Yep. You know, that's that's kind of what it is. It, it's it. It's sad. Weren't we talking about heels? <laughs> yeah, we, we were talking about heels, but the idea of merchandising and all that other stuff uh, tailspinned us to where we are now. Oh, right, right. So, but I think that it, it, it is important to talk about, though, because the there's people that they'll go to Japan, mm-hmm. right? And I think Virtual Pros is an Instagram page. They do limited releases for T-shirts. And they always sell out of their shit because they're strategic with the way they market themselves. They'll go to Japan with a bunch of money and then they'll buy Japanese wrestling merchandise such as VHS tapes, T-shirts, like they do towels, fan support towels and figures. And then they'll come back. Boy, what a racket those towels are. And absolutely. And they end up coming back and then they sell it privately on their Instagram stories and they make hand over fist. And it's one of those things that it's, there's a little bit of hustle that comes behind it. Mm -hmm. And granted, are you going to get rich doing it? No, but are you going to invest in something that's going to become a return investment? Yes. Hopefully. I mean, at the very least you have to break even. And if you didn't break even, you did it wrong. Yes. That's sort of the idea. At 8 o'clock, as you'll see, double main event action. Kevin Von Erich faces the sinister and dangerous Killer Khan. It's a rematch that Kevin has been looking for. Gina Hernandez, the man we're getting ready to talk to, will be facing Kerry Von Erich. Fabulous Freebirds, Hayes and Roberts will face Mike Von Erich and Chris Adams. Iceman King Parsons goes against Wild Bill Irwin. And after what we've seen the last two nights, that is the fourth, and then again tonight, that should be a most exciting bout. The Rock and Roll Zoom all faces Kelly Kaninsky and much, much more. A double main event, Friday night, Dallas Sportatorium Industrial Lucatus, where the action always begins at 8 o'clock. Here he is now, the man of the hour, Gino Hernandez. Mr. Fourth of July is what you ought to call the handsome athlete now. I told everyone the pole match would be mine, but $10,000 wasn't such a big deal because my girlfriend could blow 10 grand in Neiman Marcus on any given afternoon. But the world title shot, the ultimate goal, Gino Hernandez, the handsome half-breed, the man of the hour, the man with the power, too sweet to be sour, is about to get his world title match. Now, next week here, I've got a mentally retarded humanoid as an opponent, some idiot that carries a ghetto blaster on his shoulder. Well, that is no big deal. That, to me, is like a vacation. I'll take him and play with him till I'm tired and then beat him one, two, three. But I will have to say once again, that big crowd in the Tarrant County, that was my day, wasn't it, Mark? Well, I guess you could say that, but what do you have to say about Stella May? I have nothing to say about that idiot Stella May. Now, let me say this right now. You are a stupid female. Because if you get in the ring with me and interfere with anything I've got to say, I don't care that I was raised not to touch a woman. But as far as I'm concerned, there's a hormone imbalance, and she's not a woman because I've been hit by men that can't hit as hard as that idiot, and I'm saying directly to her, stay out of my way because I'm telling you, the people, if you think I'm going to let a woman get in my way of what I'm doing, 
You're all sadly mistaken. To give you an idea of what Gino is so upset about, we're going to show you a piece of tape from the convention center the other night and let you see what happened. Boy, well, let's switch it back to heels. Yes. And maybe even get back to Gino Hernandez, who I think we've barely talked about. The truth is, is that I almost there, there's almost not that much to talk about because the his apex is really only a couple of years. Um, he had probably one of the shorter runs, and then he was, uh, well, he either OD'd or was murdered, depending on who you talk to. Well, if you there, uh, Dark Sides of the Ring did the Gino Hernandez story, and they actually did a follow up on YouTube mm-hmm. that was basically Conrad Thompson with the creators of the Dark Side of the Ring series, right. and there was an anonymous uh, informant that informed Gino's mother that he was not murdered. And that he just overdosed. Right. And he was able to go into enough detail that his mother was satisfied with that answer. However, what doesn't change is, is the the story and the sensationalism behind things like the autopsy report. Like in the autopsy report, it says that he was uncircumcised when his mother is like, no, he was circumcised. Sure. And there was some things. Maybe he had a sloppy dork. Mayhaps. <laughs> Maybe he ended up cutting himself again and then it healed the weird way or who That's knows. Right. He got juice the old fashioned way. There it is. And <laughs> oy vey. Um, but circumcision jokes aside, but the the facts were known of he unfortunately got involved with the same lifestyle that consumed the majority of people within that era with drugs and alcohol. It was a stereotype of the 80s. Yes. You know, when people see the character that he played was the stereotype of of that sort of 80s, you know, stockbroker just doing bumps of cocaine all day and fucking all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's what he that's what his gimmick was. And then turns out that was just his life in general. Yep. And, you know, you're hanging out with cocaine dealers a lot of the times. You're you, you could pretty much log that down as bad crowd. Yeah. Um, but, you know, oftentimes we have the benefit of retrospect where we can look at all the, the quote unquote facts of the case, so to speak. And oftentimes the answer is generally what's the shortest route between a and B It's just common sense. Yes. He just overdosed is all it is. You yeah. know, the guy fucking did cocaine like crazy. Cause he was living the life of this big time heel pro wrestler. Uh, by the way, was not alone. <laughs> the, all the Von Eric's were guilty of this sort of stuff too. Right. And just fucking probably and did crazy too much. Right. And I mean, one of the big mysteries is, oh, he had four times the amount it would take to kill a man in a system. Who would do that? It's like, well. Gino Hernandez. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and Scarface. Like, it's like willpower and self-control is not what I would equate to someone who was doing cocaine. So yeah. who cares how much he had in his system? Guy like cocaine. He's on that booger sugar, son. Well, and I think that even for the time period, that was when, like, cocaine was a recreational party drug. And especially during the 70s throughout the 80s. 
And then if throughout the 90s, it became a little bit too expensive, and that's where crack was introduced, which is a whole entire tale. No, crack was in the 80s. Well, crack was in the 80s. My apologies. Well, crack but, was cocaine cut with fucking baking soda and whatever else. Made it cheaper. Yeah. And More it was affordable. crazy addictive, and uh, it fucking kills people. Yep. Uh, cocaine was the upper crusters version of it, and it was done by a bunch of douchebags. Yep. And uh, fucking white collar yuppies. And sure. I watched The Wolf of the Wall Street. I know how it's done. You blow a little in your girlfriend's butthole. Yep. And then you snort it out. It's, it's like a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And regardless, like anything in excess, right? You know, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs. Um, overeating, anything like that, when you are uh, victimized to addiction, um, it's it's so hard. It's a polarizing subject because there's some people that they, they will always say that addiction is a disease. And it, then there's some other people that will say, but they have to be a willing participant. It is and, a disease. Yeah. I mean, it's a mental, I mean, it, when it takes over your your neurological system. Yes. <laughs> what do you call that? You can call it tech. Well, it's not technically a virus. Yeah, but you also succumb to it. You yeah. Know, if you've ever seen someone coming down off of heroin, and not Frank Sinatra and whatever that old movie is where he's really hamming it up. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, it's it's mortifying. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. They, their body needs it, and they start getting the shakes and throwing up violently. It's crazy. Yeah. Hey, well, let's wrap up with heels. I wanted to bring something up, and maybe I tried it on it the week before, so I apologize if I'm uh, bringing up some old material here, but <clears throat> I feel that the industry needs proper heels, especially on TV more than ever. Now, yep. the, the independent scene, I can understand because of all the reasons we've discussed today, yep. because you're not making as much money, although a good heel, even on the indies, is worth his weight in gold if he is in fact a good one right but man you know i for the people who maybe this is their first episode i watch aew dynamite every week that's my appointment television because it's not on demand anywhere as far as i know i think maybe hulu, if you pay for like the hundred dollar hulu package right which i'm not doing right all these things are 10 to $15. Why would I pay a hundred dollars just so I can watch this one show? Yep. But, um, and in recent weeks, I've been saying this in my personal life. I don't know if I've said it on the show, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself. The industry on TV desperately needs some proper heels and, uh, not to put everything on MJF's back since he's been missing in action for some time since he cut that, that promo. But, it never has it been more apparent than this lead up to this CM Punk, John Moxley, you know, interim unification match for the world title yep. business that they were doing. Because I, I, hey, look, I have a John Moxley t-shirt and I have a CM Punk t-shirt. I like both of these guys. And seeing them both basically showcase each other's bad points I thought was doing 
both of them a disservice where yep. they're both cutting promos and like, hey, I'd uh, get in a ring with you, but you might burst into you know a big splash of blood or whatever. It's like, oh, if I were you, I would leave for seven years or whatever they're, was they're saying. I'm obviously making that up. Right. But if you're pointing out all the negative things about a person, um, it's like you making it's taking their stock of both of them down a little bit. Well, and it depends on who you ask because there's some people like right now. I think that the buzz that's going around behind this feud has just as much to do with the dirt sheets. Right. And AEW is very obviously holding hands with the idea of, okay, well, everyone thinks that this is what's going on in our locker room. Let's spill that out onto the TV screen. That way, I think they did a mock-up um, like a National Enquirer or People Magazine cover mm-hmm. that like had like the sizzle, like, oh, Daniel Garcia says this about pro wrestling and stuff like that. So right. now we're in this interesting period to where I do understand what you're saying. But at the same time, I also do understand the appeal because what are the biggest moments in both of Moxley and Punk's careers? Punk's career his biggest moment was the pipe bomb promo in WWE where he aired out his grievances. And then you have John Moxley who the biggest moment of his career was him getting out of his WWE contract. And then basically on his way out the door, got out of it. He let, he let it expire, made it clear he's not resigning. And then he just left at the end. But on his way out the door, he mentioned how miserable he was there at, in the company. And then that's what, in my opinion, made Moxley beloved because people were, they knew what he was capable of doing as far as the microphone work and the in-ring stuff. He was always beloved. And they... Even when he was Dean Ambrose, there was a fucking huge contingent of teenage girls who loved them some Dean Ambrose. Yes, and handsome man-man, you know, like almost like a James Dean bad boy type of wife beater, you know, wrestling in the tight jeans and that. So the biggest moments of them in wrestling came from honesty. Sure. Right. And I feel like for me, a lot of it feels in my opinion, I think that it's orchid. I'm not offended by it because I feel like if anyone's talking about it, then it's serving the point that it needs to serve. Sure. Okay. But here's the point I'm going to make. And then we'll move on uh, for the day anyway. I'm not offended by it. I'm not bothered by it. It's perfectly fine and fitting television. But I have to admit that their stock collectively is not really going up for me. Right. It's either staying the same or getting worse because they're pointing out all of their actual faults. But let's say one of them was a monster heel. Yep. And they're both capable of doing it if they wanted to. Yes. Um, and you're supposed to have your stock be crazy down and that other person would look a lot better. I'm, I'm talking about a lot of psychological things here. Right. If one of them was a heel and was pointing out all this stuff, you would, it would only endear you to the baby face because that's the protocol. It's the, the heel attacks the opponent and the audience and the baby face stands up on behalf of the audience and that, therefore, the the baby faces stock goes up as opposed to two baby faces talking shit about each other where it's not it's not it might elevate a little bit because people go, oh, what's going to happen? But, you know, 
people forget what happened after Hogan and Moyer. It just kind of petered out. Right. That's why it wasn't regularly done. And unfortunately now, I think that there's been a little bit too much embracing of let the fans decide who's going to be babyface or heel. I'm not going to let anybody decide for me. I'm going to make that decision for myself and I'm going to make them decide because it is my job. And if you're really good, you can control that group. Yes. Oh, absolutely you can. And that's something that... Unfortunately, I think that the nature of the industry, you know, the one thing that everyone romances about the Attitude Era was, oh, well, there's not necessarily faces or heels anymore. You know, like there's just shades of gray. Well, I never believed that for one fucking second. Right. And unfortunately, though, there you didn't believe that. But at the same time, look at people like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Right. right. Both of them baby faces, except for when The Rock was obviously a heel. Yeah. That's all you need to know. Were the fans cheering for this person, even if he was doing something dastardly? That's a baby face. Yeah. You know, uh, The Rock or or anyone, it, you know, John Cena, when people were like, this guy needs to turn heel, boo, boo, boo. They didn't realize that they were being worked, that uh, technically, yeah, he is a heel because you're booing the fuck out of him. Right. And... and- there, like I said, this is this is something that we could talk about at length. I agree with you. I wish that there was a clear dynamic of babyface and heel, and I feel like they would get a stronger reaction. But at the same time, they're two over people, and they're gonna do it how they're gonna do it. And there's nobody in the world that's gonna be able to tell either one of them otherwise. And unfortunately. We'll see what happens when it comes out of the wash. I will say this much right now. If anyone's talking about professional wrestling in any facet, including us, it means that people are at least paying attention. I believe that more people would talk about it if it were an actual feud with someone everyone really liked and someone who and someone who everyone really hated, as opposed to two people who everyone liked. Because that was not that that because this business model that existed for a hundred years needs to go the way of the dodo, it works for a reason. Yes. You know, it sells tickets when there's someone everyone hates and there's someone that everyone loves. Let's see this guy get his ass kicked. That sells tickets. Two guys everyone loves. Yeah, people will go to that, but it drops their stock a little. And that's something that you don't want to do. Turnbuckle Boogie is a Devo Looter production and is produced by Timothy Styles and Cody Hancock with web production and music provided by Timothy Styles. For more information, go to turnbuckleboogie.com. And for booking information on Cutthroat Cody Hancock, go to cutthroatcody.com. See you next Monday. <laughs>